Hello, welcome to another Euro 2020 in 2021 special edition of Talking Fußball. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and I'm here to set the table for Germany's Group F campaign, which gets off the mark on Tuesday against France. I'll have a very special guest with me in just a few minutes who's got a lot of insight into how Le Bleu might be approaching the game, their mindset heading into the big clash against their neighbors. But first, let's just take a deep breath. Yeah. Take a deep breath, because it's just about always good to take a deep breath, but also because if you're like me, and I reckon that you are, you were probably tuned in live over the weekend when it seemed like we might be witnessing something devastating, something horrifying, heartbreaking, sobering. Christian Eriksen's collapse after suffering cardiac arrest on the pitch on Saturday was really tough to take in the moment. It remains difficult to process. A life and death moment for one man, which intruded on a tournament that itself sometimes feels like an intrusion on a pandemic that has claimed the lives of around three-quarter of a million people across the continent on which it's being played over the last year and a half. It is wonderful news that Erickson appears to be recovering well. It's disappointing news that UEFA took basically all of an hour, we're hearing, to issue his teammates with an ultimatum. They said, you can play on, on Saturday. You can play on at noon the next day. Or you can take a 3-0 forfeit loss. Hmm. Maybe not surprising that UEFA acted this way, those of us who remember how Europe's football governing body handled the Dortmund bus bombing in 2017. Very similar. Yeah, UEFA to an unseemly degree, it seems, are a the-show-must-go-on kind of outfit. And I hope that an incident like this can bring them to some point of reconsideration. Certainly our talking foosball hearts go out to Ericsson, his family, the rest of the Denmark football family, including a lot of familiar Bundesliga faces from, from past and present. Guys like Thomas Delaney, Yusuf Polson, Andreas Christensen, Simon Kier, and Pierre-Emil Hjobier, all of whom were on the pitch and in clearly in some distress when this was happening. We are going to be backing you from here on out. Which is not to say that we're not happy for Union Berlin's Joel Pochianpolo, who scored Finland's first ever major tournament goal and their first ever major tournament win. He joins a growing list of Bundesliga goal scorers at this tournament so far. Briel Embolo, Thomas Meunier, Stefan Leiner, Michael Grigorich, Wout Weghorst, and Patrick Schick. Well, well, perhaps even more by the time you listen to this podcast. Okay, let's go ahead and get down to business. This is a podcast about German football. The Germanist football at this tournament is that being played by Germany. It's uh, getting underway on Tuesday, as I said, after a quick break. I'm going to share with you my interview with European football expert, Andy Brassel. You know, I, I don't throw that oft-abused title of expert around lightly, 
But this guy, he is the real deal. You probably know him already. He has his finger on the pulse of the game in multiple countries. He's written for just about every newspaper and website you can think of. And Group F happens to feature a number of of teams he knows very, very well. So I couldn't think of a better person to talk about Germany's first opponents, France, with. And I also didn't mind catching up with an old pal. Enjoy. Well, Andy, it's super to have you back on Talking Foosball. It's been, wow, I think it might be four years since we've had you on. You used to be sort of a, a an off and on mainstay. It's, it's, is it that long? Wow, I'm old, it turns out. Well, look, it's, it's, it's delightful to be back anyway. Thank you for having me, Matt. Spectacular. Well, I know that you have both a, a sort of a personal history, a soft spot for France football. You know this team pretty intimately. And I think anybody knows that they're the world champions and that they made it to the final of the last version of this tournament. They are an absolutely stacked team. Are they feeling confident that they can just blow through this group of death? I think they feel pretty confident that they're going to win it. Antoine Griezmann did a an interview in Le Keep this week where he said, uh, okay, Euro fast is winning it, Whew. which I, I think puts you pretty square where they are so there's no we get through the first round and see how we go it's just the minimum requirement is to win it you know that that's the point that they're at and you know that a lot has been made of various tensions with with it in the squad i don't think it's anything serious obviously if they got a bad result against germany in the first game that could really change that but i think the sort of tension they have is like it feels like a healthy creative tension at the moment and also inevitable when you think that someone who has been a pillar and a really selfless team guy like olivier Giroud, has been dropped like a hot brick when um karen benzema has, has, has come back now that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do but Didier Deschamps is a pragmatist and he will be fully aware that um, there was going to be some some blowback from that. Obviously, there's been a bit of disquiet between Mbappe and Giroud after a, um, an interview that Giroud gave when they beat Bulgaria in the, in, in the final friendly. And he said, I was waiting for the passes that never came. And Mbappe took that as being directed at him, even though it didn't name him. And he had the hump about it. There's been a lot in the French newspapers about body language and on the training pitch and who's mates with who and all that sort of stuff, which is very L'Equipe sort of standard things to analyse. But in terms of where they're at, I feel they're in a pretty good place. When you talked about how stacked they are, I think that's right. And I don't think there's been a tournament really in in recent memory an international tournament where that's been more important the other thing is they know how to grind out results and that is something that is going to be really important in this you're not gonna win euro 2020 with seven extravagant performances and it's not necessarily the team that plays best that's going to win and you know what i actually think france can win this tournament without necessarily playing well I don't think you're too far off on that. I, I feel like considering the way that they played, or at least the style of play that they got the job done in Russia with, which is to say pretty meat and potatoes, especially considering all the all the sort of attacking talent, 
I looked at the squad list and, you know, obviously the way that different players are classified as midfielders or forwards or whatever is kind of amorphous. But it is striking to see that there are eight forwards in this squad. France did not play a particularly attacking game in Russia, winning the tournament. They picked, you know, Karim Benzema, who has been out in the cold for six years. Do you think that this signals any kind of different way that uh, Didier Deschamps might want to play this tournament? Just a bit more hell for leather? I I don't think it does, Matt, because I I think the reason – there are two things that's opened the door for Benzema coming back in. Um, Firstly is the fact that Deschamps had been talking to his staff about – he was a bit worried about a lack of punch in the final third with the games over the last – six to eight months. And I think he's he's done well to address that while the rest of the world has just said, oh, they'll be fine. They've got the best squad. He wasn't really happy with the attacking output. I think because of the baggage that comes with Benzema, that's looked at as the sole reason that he, he wasn't picked anymore by Didier Deschamps. That was some of it, but he was actually quite a difficult player tactically to fit into to what they wanted. And, you know, Deschamps is big on harmony and balance and all that sort of stuff. But in terms of technical and tactical balance, that's why Giroud was so key in in Russia, for example, Um, because ever since he he first made a dent in the top flight at Montpellier, it's not just about the goals. And, of course, he's getting closer and closer to uh, Thierry Henry's France international goals record. It's about the runs he makes. It's about drawing defenders out of the middle by making runs into the channels. It's about bringing those midfield stroke forward players that you discussed into play. And that kind of brings us into the second part of why Benzema's come back. And that's because since Cristiano Ronaldo has left Real Madrid, his game has evolved closer to what Giroud does. So he's, he's become more of a nine and because uh, he's, he's talked about quite extensively, Benzema, about how his body shape has changed um, because he's had to become Real Madrid's main goal scorer. Now he's fantastic in the air. He scores a lot of headers, which was not the case if we, we go back some years. He's muscled up. And I think that's something that's very important for him going forward because he was always prone when he was younger to putting on a bit of weight. Now he looks like a boxer. And of course, the other thing is when we're talking about bringing other players into the game, if you play the ball into Benzema, you're going to get a better pass back than you do from Olivier Giroud. And I'm I'm not knocking Olivier Giroud, but the fact is on a technical level, there is no comparison between the two. So it's the fact that Deschamps is a pragmatist, a realist, and also it's the fact that Benzema's game has changed to adapt to France. So there's not really the sense that they're going to adapt their game to change to him. It's more the other way around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I'm, I'm very interested to see what this does for France. I mean, I, I too think that even the, the stoutest of defenders of Olivier Giroud should be able to admit to themselves deep down that there is a difference in class between him and Karim Benzema. We have talked quite a lot about the attack for, for France. And I think that that's, you know, that, that's par for the course. The attacking part of the game is, <laughs> that's where the glamour is. How do you see France's backline coming together? We've got two Bayern players, Luca Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard, who started 
in the game against Bulgaria a little less than a week ago. And Varane and Kimpembe were also starting in that game. Do you see that as being sort of the group that they're going to go with if Deschamps has his druthers or is there likely to be some movement there? No, I I think those are the format. And it's funny, in another situation, it would remind you of World Cup 2010 where Argentina played four centre-halves in defence. Germany Um, did it in 2014 uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Slightly more successfully. (laughs) But uh, I I think you look at the fact that Pavard is basically a right-back now. He's got that confidence that he can charge forward as as well. He's incredibly athletic. I think to have one full-back that's a bit more stay-at-home and Luke Hernandez is that. He's, he's not his brother. I mean, his brother's incredible to watch, though. And maybe if they were playing three at the back, he would be the ideal left back for France rather than Luca. But I think the fact that he's played more for Bayern this season has, has been big. He, he started to really genuinely establish himself at Bayern, of course, as you know, and that, that's that's really important. But, but he was such a key player, him and Antoine Griezmann in terms of their efforts off the ball at the last World Cup. And it's been said that that atletismo, in a way, is something that really helped them when they just wanted to win games 1-0 or 2-0. So I think not just tactically, not just quality-wise, but almost spiritually, Hernandez is super, super important to to, to them. And Kimpembe as well, who... Is a defender you always feel kind of has a mistake in him here or there, even though he's um, globally very, very good. He's developed into one of the real leaders of the squad. He's quite a loud character as well, which is in contrast to Rafael Varane, for example. He's a definite pick now. They needed someone like that because obviously Samuel Umtiti, who was brilliant in Russia, is is no longer in peak physical condition, unfortunately, which is which is why he hasn't made the trip. So I think those are the ones that they're going to go with. I think as well, the other thing about Hernandez being really important is the fact that on that side, the big miss for them, there's been so much talk about Benzema or, 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 or Giroud, is the fact that they don't have Blaise Matuidi anymore because Matuidi is an irreplaceable player. Like they kind of had him as, you can't really call him a left winger or even even a left-sided midfielder in this midfield four they had in this this, this kind of 4-4-2, that, hybrid 4-4-2 that they had. But Matuidi is such an extraordinary player with such an incredible athletic and tactical capacity that he was an inside left stroke central midfielder stroke left winger stroke left back (laughs) and he was athletically good enough to to cover all those positions at the same time so you can't replace him and and funnily enough what they kind of hit on in the friendlies and if you're talking about a gentle evolution and it is only a gentle evolution of what France do tactically it's the third Bayern player who I think is going to be important Corentin Tolisso who arguably having missed a bit of football this season could be a bit more fresh but in the last game against Bulgaria they played him as the kind of sentinel in front of the defense which allowed Angolo Conte to bomb forward a little bit more and and that really helped them in this kind of 4-3-3 that they have or depending on which way you you look at it I suppose a a diamond a 4-4-2 diamond with Griezmann at the the, the the tip of the diamond, 
But because Tolisso is so versatile, because he's so mobile, and because he can actually exchange with Kante, if Kante wants to sit for a bit and Tolisso goes, we know he can cause damage in the, in the front third of the pitch as well. He's so tidy on the ball. He's a good tackler. I think Tolisso is going to be a really key player in this tournament for France. Nice, nice. I, I think that's going to be potentially a, an interesting wrinkle for Bayern as well, because as you said, he didn't get a lot of playing time, partly through fitness, partly through, you know, simple just competition. But um, having a big tournament for him could could set him up to sort of have a rejuvenated uh, Bayern career. That could be an, an interesting wrinkle. I want to ask a question or two about how fans, the media, et cetera, and France are viewing this so-called group of death. I mean, you mentioned already Griezmann's uh, <laughs> confident outlook. Was there any worry or consternation that they drew such a strong group in this tournament? Or, or was it more that, you know, hey, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best? Well, I think they could have done without facing them both. In, in the group stage, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But it's not always been easy for France in in qualification. And I think the sense is that, you know, maybe it will help them to get to a, a better point quicker. I mean, with France, there's always, and we, we talked about the, the style of play, maybe not always being the most spectacular. Didier Deschamps, if, if he has this job until the end of time, people will be complaining in France about the football they play. People will be saying, why can't you be more aggressive, more entertaining, really, with this group of players? And he, like a, a lot of good international coaches, like Fernando Santos with, with Portugal, a bit like Gareth Southgate seems to be absorbing with England, knows that you don't really win international tournaments after your best players have played 60 elite level games by going hell for leather. It's, it's just not possible. You know, you need to contain, you need to manage your efforts a, a little bit more. And there's a sense that France are really good at that. You know, they have earned a degree of public confidence. If you bear in mind, like, you know, how poor the relationships between the French general public and the team was, even going back as recently as, what, 2013, really. There's something that's often overlooked about Benzema, the fact that he was a huge part in turning that around in that World Cup playoff second leg against Ukraine in November 2013, where he helped them mount that comeback against Ukraine at, at, at the Stade de France. And that was the start of the thawing of the relationship between France's national team and its general public. There is confidence. There is a sense of they enjoy being good and they'll be able to show they're good against these these big teams. But but of course there's there's respect that, you know, Germany are Germany, even if like, maybe it's not the the best German side that we've seen in the in the last decade. You know, there's a there's a more than healthy respect for for, for what the other teams can do. All right. So we are officially on a, a very temporary loan to uh, talking foosball for this appearance from the football ramble, <laughs> uh, which is your, your normal pod home. We here, obviously, we have a pretty strong, you know, Germany national team focus and, and we sort of keep to our corner. The, the football ramble is, is a somewhat larger octopus of, of podcasting arms with different topics. What, what did the group have planned over there? How do you fit into it? Well, basically, Matt, we're going to be on 
almost every single day during the Euros. So we will be talking about all the, all the games and enjoying the tournament with the listeners in, in the Ramble Zone inimitable way. We will also have on the continent our European-focused pod, which Germany gets a lot of love. That will continue every Thursday as well. So that we'll be able to focus on the non-British Isles teams in, in that as well, um, which will be quite exciting because there are loads of question marks over over these teams obviously there will be a lot of focus on the on, on the germany portugal france group we'll be, you'll be getting plenty of that so we'll be able to analyze that a, a little bit more closely there'll obviously be people chipping in from the games including uh, me because i'll be out in budapest for the for the group stage where i'll be covering a lot of this group and seeing a bit of france and and portugal and also i know miguel delaney will be at some some games for us as as, as well but yeah we're, we're we're still going on Saturday and Sundays. So that's what you need to know. <laughs> Spectacular. And enjoyment, uh, as you say, enjoying the football, enjoyment is key yeah. at, at the football ramble, which is as it should be. Just before we, we go, how is uh, France, Germany going to turn out, you reckon? I, I, I think France is going to win this and going to win it with a bit of comfort, actually. I, th- I think there's, there's quite a significant gap between the sides, which is more pronounced than it was in the semi-final of 20, 2016. It still gives me goosebumps thinking about that, actually. Yeah. What an occasion that was in, in Marseille. That was that was amazing. I, I'm just not really sold on, on Germany's defence, to be perfectly honest. You know, there's no doubting that there's a lot of quality in the squad, but I, I feel like they should have made more positive steps forward, given that Yogi Love has basically had three years to reorganize the team and recalibrate the team and you know he's he's ended up making this huge song and dance over Müller and and, and Hummels that, that that's a bit of a concern to me so it's not so much that I don't believe in the players I don't really believe in the coach anymore, sadly to say, because he has done extraordinary things for German football. Yeah, I don't think you're alone in those in those feelings. Uh, <laughs> possibility we might get uh, a France-Portugal uh, rerun in the final. I, I, I judge those two teams as, as two of the strongest in the tournament, personally. Yeah, I, th- I think I did my tournament predictor, and that's what it came out as, France edging Portugal in the, in the final. But the thing is... <laughs> If if you're trying to predict who will play who at the moment, oh my god, <laughs> it's far harder to do a path now. The third place teams qualify, isn't it? Matt? So I especially because there's going to be teams who get to the, the the third game of the group who are thinking to themselves in very strategic terms, and who knows how that's going to turn out. Yeah, I mean, we saw that third match play out in 2016 between Portugal and Hungary when Portugal realised the draw in third place would would do them. The other advantage, I guess, for whoever's in that position when it comes to to this group which is going to be a fantastic group i'm so looking forward to it is the fact that portugal germany france and we have to say hungary as well they're going last so they get to they get to know exactly what they what they need. Hey, that, that's, uh, that's a small comfort for the teams. In the <laughs> Very small comfort. All right, nice one, Andy Brassel. It's super to talk to you again. Uh, it's super to have you back on uh, Talking Foosball. And um, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, my man. A real pleasure. And enjoy the tournament, guys. All right, thanks, Emil, to Andy Brassel for coming on Talking Foosball after all this time. And thanks to the Football Ramble for uh, 
allowing us to have a piece of his insights. If, if you're looking for a podcast to take you all the way through the tournament day by day, that might be a very good choice indeed. We here at Talking Foosball will have more content throughout the tournament. We will be back later in the week to uh, mop up what happens with Germany versus France, as well as to set up what's going to be to come with uh, Portugal versus Germany. This Wow, what, what, a, what a murderer's row to open the tournament. In any case, we hope you'll join us for our next podcast. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, do all those podcast things. Rate us, review us, tell your friends, and uh, just keep listening. This is from Nixon Mall, y'all.